Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship, Cyprus, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. There are 66 books in the Bible, but to understand sin and redemption through Jesus, you must start from the first book, where God breathed life and set the stage for the unfolding story of His living word. Join us as we go through the book of Genesis in this sermon series titled, Grace Upon Grace. Well, this morning we're going to uh, look at a slightly different angle than we have been. Uh, We'll pick back up in Genesis chapter 4 next week. You can open your Bibles to Romans. Uh, They will not be on the screen, so you can look on with a neighbor. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you're welcome to do that. Just don't check your Snapchats or your other things. The book of Romans, because in chapter three, we talked about how sin entered the world and it entered through Adam and it entered through Eve. Adam and Eve are the only people who were not born into sin. We get to celebrate with somebody who gave their life to Christ. And a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, well, I've always been a Christian. I was born a Christian. And it's not true. Nobody was born a Christian. Nobody was born free. Nobody was born whole. Since sin into the world, we are born into brokenness and sin, despair, darkness, and death. And so what we see in Genesis 3 was this notion that as sin entered, so grace entered also. And a covering of shame and guilt was given through the sacrifice of a life for a life. It's not going to be fancy today. We're just going to talk about it. Romans chapter 1. We're going to take, we're not going to take uh, every single verse. We're going to walk through the first six chapters, some highlights and some key points to kind of walk through and understand what life was given for our life to make us whole and free to be able to get in the waters of baptism. Because blood was shed, right? Blood was shed. The law said that a life, blood had to be shed to atone for sin. So this is what we see. Paul wrote Romans. He says, starting in verse 15, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That word gospel means good news, as most of you know. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, in the good news, in the gospel, in the salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So salvation, attain the righteousness of God, right? The way to attain the salvation, the way to walk in the good news is through faith, Right? It means that there's not works. It means you can't do anything to fix it, right? By faith. And then it speaks then to the brokenness that we read about in Genesis. For the wrath of God that was poured out, the the consequence, the the discipline, the, um, the thing that the chastisement that had to be given for the wrong choices, right? It's the way when we raise kids, right? There's the wrath of dad or the wrath of mom, right? Run. Right, it's poured out. 
in order to correct and to guide towards life, right? The reason you discipline your kids, the reason there is wrath, the reason that we end up, you know, working through these things with our kids is to point them in the direction that brings life, not death. So he says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So I want you to think about it while you read. I want you to personalize these scriptures. It's very easy to think about this for those people. To think about it for that group or for that person that I know at work or for my wayward cousin or for so-and-so. I want you to think about his wrath was revealed for your ungodliness and for my ungodliness. Does that make sense? So that it was revealed from heaven against, right? Because we were at odds. We entered into enmity with God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppressed the truth. You remember what happened? With the, with, the, with the serpent, right? The truth was suppressed and then there was all this doubt thrown in. There was all this conversation that kind of watered and muddied it all together, right? And when we do that, right, we give in to temptation and we, it makes it easier to sin. We justify what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. <clears throat> For what can be known about God is plain to them, right? Think about all the ungodliness in the world, all the people in the world, well, what if? Well, did, how, how does God reveal that? What if we're not there to tell them? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How did he show it to them? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature has clearly, has been clearly perceived ever since the what? Creation of the world. In the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So God through his creation, has revealed his divinity and his power and his glory. And it's meant to show us those things. So what happened? Well, the same thing happened there. What did Adam and Eve do? They focused on the creation. They lowered their eyes for sustenance and knowledge and understanding. They lowered their eyes from God himself as being the sustainer and provider of those things and took on the creation as the one who would do those things. And this is what Romans, this is what Paul is talking about. It says, that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. Back into darkness, right? The devil was trying to plunge us back into darkness. Did Adam and Eve up to us. And it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. You see this at the very beginning. Claiming to be wise... They became fools. And what did they do? There was an exchange that happened. They had something and they exchanged it for something else. Right? We do this. We go to the store. We purchase something. We have something and we don't like it. So we what? We exchange it for something else. You can do that for clothes. You can't do that for kids. Right? Can't do that for parents. It says, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, idol, idolatry. Verse 24, therefore, what did God do? Because of the continual rebellion, the continual exchange that we do as humanity, as humanity, remember, all ungodliness, right? All ungodliness. All ungodliness. Not that group or this group or them over there, that one kind of people. 
It says, he gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. The things that we venture after, the things that we lust after, the things we can't get enough of, the things that we want more than God, right? And it says, he gave them up. He gave them over to those things, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So you see from the beginning how it plays out. And Paul is trying to remind everybody that everybody is in that boat now, right? It's not, it's not just Adam and Eve. It wasn't just all the people we're going to learn about in Genesis. We see this pattern of depravity. We see this pattern of degradation. We see this pattern of destruction and death and darkness, trying to go back into darkness instead of living in the light that we were offered at the beginning and that we are still offered. Verse 32 says, though they knew, though they know God's righteous decree, Adam and Eve, they knew what to do was right. They understood the right thing to do. That those who practice such things deserve to die. This is where we understand the consequence of sin is death. And those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We could preach on that for a little while. So what's happening is people have been given over to our sin, your sin. You've been given, we are given over to the lust of the things that we crave more than God. And not only that, we know the right things to do, but we choose not to. That's sin itself, right, which deserves death. And not only do you know that, but then you make, you approve of other people sinning. Therefore, he says, chapter two, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. (laughs) Now, I don't know, you probably don't do this, but people that you know make judgment of others. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody that you know, let's say they like, uh, they're terrible in traffic, like they're just road rage, right? I don't know anybody like that. But they get mad at people who do that. They make a judgment about somebody behind the wheel when they themselves do the same exact thing. Right? They make a judgment about, I can't believe they lied to me. Right? Or, oh, they have this, what maybe you'll get into some crazier, disgusting things, right? There's the real, the real terrible sins that we judge people for. And he says this. He says, every one of you who judges, you have no excuse for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. In passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. How can a sinful, broken man or woman judge rightly a sinful, broken man or woman? How can you rightly pass judgment on somebody when you yourself are not a law abider, but a law breaker? It might not be the same exact kind of sin or type of sin or specific sin, but it is sin nonetheless. And because we are all, he says, the minute that you pass judgment, you are judging yourself. He says, do you suppose, verse three, oh man, 
you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? <laughs> this is what happened to the Pharisees, those religious people who thought that their own works were better, good enough to give them standing with God, that somehow, because they memorized the scriptures, which is great, because they did all the right things, right? They fulfilled the law, which they didn't, that somehow they would escape the judgment of God. And it says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So we see the wrath of God poured out and then what happens is we push people under the wrath. It's like, if think about it like a waterfall, God's wrath, judgment. Oh yeah, they need to be judged and they need to be judged the whole while. You're standing under the waterfall yourself, being judged. And, it, and he's, what he, we find out here, Paul says, is don't you remember that it's not about the judgment, but that the kindness and grace and patience of God that leads a person to turn away from that life of sin to a life of forgiveness and light. Verse 90 says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being. The Greek for every there is every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. Because what we're going to get into is the covenant that God made with Abraham, right? That he made with Noah, that he made with these other people. This covenant of this promise of life and abundance. And the nation of Israel is part of that, right? The Jews are that nation of Israel. The Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows what? No partiality. It means he's drilling home this point that nobody is off the hook, right? Nobody is, everybody's like Adam and Eve. The same thing that happened at the beginning. Everybody exchanges the, the creator for the creature, for the creation. In some sense, even if it's yourself, you're like, well, I don't worship trees and birds and snakes and all those things. That's weird. But I'm the master of my own life. But I can do what I want and God needs to get on board. Right. Then you are worshiping yourself. And that is, in fact, idolatry and foolishness. Let's look at verse or chapter three. What then? Verse nine of chapter three. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. And then he, he quotes uh, another part, portion of Scripture in the Old Testament. And here's what we need to understand. Your sin, though not taboo in culture or not judged as worse in culture, is just as bad as that which you judge in culture. What, what is it? Murder. Maybe murder is a thing for you. Maybe it's homosexuality. Maybe it's adultery. We don't judge adultery anymore, right? Adultery is not that big a deal. We have TV shows about it that we watch, we support, right? Sexual immorality is rampant all over the world, right? Lying, malice, slander. Do we judge those? He's saying, we are all under sin. All. 
as is written, if, they did, if we didn't understand yet, Paul really drives home the point here. This is what it says. None is righteous. Do you kind of get the picture? All are under sin and none is righteous. No, not one. I'm the kid who is in school. Do you ever do this in school when the teacher's getting at you? Right? You sit there and be like, I know you're talking to me. Man, y'all are in some trouble over here. You always feel, are you, if you're like, you felt like the exception? You ever feel like that? Like you're the exception to the rule? Like they're talking to everybody else, but not me. Like, man, you guys better straighten up, you know? Because <laughs> do you, you see how mad they are? Not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. This is the state of the affair of the world that we're born into. Since the fall of man, Adam and Eve, no one is righteous, not even one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. This is hardcore. This kind of doesn't feel very good. No one does good, not even one. And the thing that permeates the culture that we live in and the life that we live in is that people are basically good, Right? That's the argument. Well, people are basically good, so God will let just about anybody in. I mean, not the terrible people, not those people, but he'll let most of us in because we're basically good. Well, the scripture is very, very clear. No one is good by the standard of God's righteousness, right? He is a holy God, perfect. Set aside, he's, right? And that's the expectation to be in the presence of God the way he intended it at the beginning. And since the fall of Adam and Eve... All have turned aside. And there are people who will tout, they will, they will try to convince you that they do understand because they're very confident. People in the church do this all the time. We'll just talk about in the church for now. Because out in the world, yeah, everybody wants to understand. So they're going to tell you that their way is the right way and that they proved God doesn't exist through math. And then their other friend says, no, I proved that God does exist through math. And then they say, well, no, I understand it. It is, it is in fact this way. It has to be this way. Right? The smartest Christian that you know, that one, that one that you listen to, they don't understand all the way either. And it's okay. And he goes on. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. The mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It sounds pretty messed up to me. It sounds like from Adam and Eve through history, Paul is saying the wrath of God is against everyone and everyone is the same sin boat. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's still the same boat. You're on a different part of the cruise liner, but you're still on the same ship. You might even have a luxury suite, but the boat's still sailing the same direction. That's a lot of analogies. He says down in verse, uh, go down to 22. It says, but or let's go to 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The law was given, it says, to show and reveal sin. This is the way that righteousness, this is the way to death. The law is set up to reveal sin and also reveal grace. 
Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So all are under sin. No one is good. They have all fallen short, right? But the salvation, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for who? All who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is what we quote. But the second half is is the good stuff. Here's what the second half says. If everybody falls short of the glory of God and they're justified, they are made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. It's a big churchy word that means atonement. It's the cost. It's it's what was given. It was what was offered as the cost of our sin and death. His blood. His blood shed was what was given to pay for our sin. And it was offered as a gift. And the vast, here's the thing about a gift, right? I don't have anything to do this with, but if I had, you know, a gift is a gift, right? If I offer you this, I paid for something and I offer it to you, right? Did you pay for it? No. Did you earn it? No. Out of love for you, I bought it, purchased it on your behalf, and I'm offering it to you. And through faith is how you receive the gift. It's like Christmas time. You don't, how many people go to Christmas time, kids at Christmas, they go and they see these gifts. They did not buy it. They know they didn't earn it, right? Because they know how the year went. They didn't earn it, but they're there, wrapped, freely offered. How many Christmas gifts do you think are, that remain unwrapped at Christmas? None. We like gifts except when it comes to Jesus. Isn't that weird? Well, you guys love Jesus. That's why you're here. I mean, really love Jesus because it's eight o'clock on a rainy day. Just trying, you know, trying to keep you guys encouraged. And it is to be received by faith. This atonement, this, this payment for our sin through Jesus Christ is meant to be received through faith. Chapter four. Verse 13, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Right? God says, Abraham, through you, will populate the earth. In fact, he'll be blessed because of you. The blessing will go through you and your family. Your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore. If you could count the stars, and you can count your descendants. And a covenant between God and your people. Right? An agreement of blessing between God and your people. And he says that it came through faith. He believed God and it was accepted as righteousness, right? His faith is what made him right before God. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Flip over to chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we saw the broken, we saw the distance, the divide, the destruction, the darkness that comes through our sin, which all are in the boat, right? We're on that cruise ship. It's a motorboat and it's cruising to death, right? We are all there. We lost access. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they their access was revoked and they were separated from God, 
right? That's why it says our sins separate us from God. Their access was like they didn't have access on that. They could not come in their sin to God face to face because their righteousness was gone. They, they, could not, they could not come because their sin was present. But we've been made right by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because that's what we're searching, right? There has to be peace some way. Through him, Jesus, we have obtained access by faith. So the faith, not only we have salvation and forgiveness, but now we have access. We actually can get back into this intimate relationship with God to enjoy fellowship and intimacy and care and provision and safety and all the things we had at the beginning, right? And it's through faith in Jesus that that takes place. Into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God, right? And then it talks about how we rejoice in sufferings and you're like, what in the world? But that produces in us endurance and perseverance and faith and joy and love and all the things that we are to exhibit because of the relationship with God now. Those things are restored through suffering on this earth. Terrible system in my opinion, but that just happens to be what God does. I'm not him, but that's how it works. And he goes on and it says the hope, verse eight, or verse five, sorry, my eyes are a little shaky, does not put us to shame because love, God's love has been poured into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse six, for while we were still weak, it means that while you, when you weren't put together, when you hadn't fixed it on your own, when you didn't walk in righteousness, while you were still weak, incapable, unable to come to God, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows us, verse 8, his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. After Adam and Eve sinned, he covered them in skins through the sacrifice of a life for their life. Right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's why you go to the dentist when your teeth are dirty and not when your teeth are clean. You don't need a cleaning if they're, if they're clean. You don't need a doctor if you're well, right? You don't need a loan if you got all the money. And he goes on, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by, uh, by him from the wrath of God. For, verse 10, if, we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Verse 12, we get to see this really cool bridge. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, right? Just as sin came through the first Adam, we, do, we just studied all this, chapters one to three in Genesis. As sin came through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. That word men is actually humanity, men and women alike. Because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, right? We know that sin entered through Adam and Eve. The law was given later. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, Right? The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God 
and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. The idea is through Adam, we are all toast. And through Jesus, life is available for everybody. And the trespass is not greater than the gift given through Jesus Christ. And the thing is, sin, the trespass is pretty awful, right? Because we see it every day. We see the sin affecting ourselves, affecting one another, affecting the world around us, affecting the church, affecting our jobs, affecting our family, affecting our kids. Everything is affected by the trespass. And so it seems insurmountable. And people don't come to God. They will not try to gain access through Jesus because it seems insurmountable because it is so painful. Sin has created so much destruction that people are afraid that there is no way God would accept them in their sin. But while they were still sinners, Christ died for them. And you might know the story. My hope is that you would take it and teach it and tell people. Chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we have been united with him in a death like his, this is what Christina just showed, this outward symbol, identifying with the death of Jesus. Coming up out of the water is a reflection of the resurrection of Jesus. And if we entered into the death we also enter into free life through the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Praise God. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that all will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died. He died to sin once for all. Once for all. Once for all. He doesn't die on the cross every time somebody prays the prayer. That work is finished. One time for everybody. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, not using your body as a sin, as an instrument of sin, but because you walk in freedom to actually walk free. It says, let sin, verse 12 in chapter six, it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Right? This is what happened to Adam and even it's what happens to us. The devil is constantly tempting us to live in the passions of our sinful nature. Constantly calling us back into darkness and into division and into death. He says, no, you don't do that. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you he, they will have no authority over you, no power over you, is what that means. No control over you. Since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Do you not know then, verse 16, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin 
which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 20 to the end says like this, and we'll wrap it up. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What fruit? What actually comes of chasing after sinful things? Temporary pleasure? Temporary gain? Temporary happiness? Temporary control? Temporary what? Provision? It's all temporary. What fruit comes of living as slaves to sin? Death. <laughs> Want. You're always left wanting. You're always left needing more. For the end of those things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's the process by which we are made to look more like Jesus. That's not magic. You snap your fingers, you pray the prayer, and all of a sudden you have everything you need. The process of living on this earth, we are hoping towards heaven, hoping towards the renewal of all things, and we are being made more like Jesus every day. Sanctification. The refiner's fire. Iron sharpening iron. All those things are part of that process. And its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Through the first Adam, we walked in sin. And through the last Adam, Jesus Christ restored all things. And we get to walk in freedom and justification, being made right before God. We have access by the gift of his grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the resurrection that show we have hope. And if you know that, I hope that you leave encouraged to say, Yes, yes, this is what I'm living in. I live in grace. I live in freedom. I don't have to walk in sin. And hopefully you know it a little better so that you can share it with somebody else. This is meant to be shared. The gospel, the good news is not meant for you to hold on to, just for you. So you feel better about your life. When you find a good dentist, you tell everybody. When you find a good mechanic, you don't tell anybody because you don't want him to get too busy but you should tell everybody because they're few and far between, right? But you find something that is good for healing and good, and you tell, why would we not tell the best news? It's not just the good news to the whole world so that we could see more people testify to the free gift of grace that they get to now walk in. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for how good you are. Thank you, God, that you have given us the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that though sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, grace comes through your son, Jesus, who did it the way you intended, the way you wanted, so that we might have access to you again. Father, would you encourage our hearts, that you convict our hearts. Forgive us for our judgment of others. Forgive us for our own sin. Forgive us, God, when we... Go back into the slavery of sin and not walk in the righteousness of God that we have in Jesus. We're going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to ask those who help us with prayer to come forward. And if you want to pray with somebody, you need to pray for someone, please do that. We're also going to take a time of giving. The bowls are right at the end. If some of you would please do me a favor. If you could just walk it back 
make sure that the bowls get back to the back corners with my friends Cindy and Monique. That way we can continue to steward God's uh, gracious provision in the way he desires. The tithe is a, a wonderful opportunity to live in dependence and trust in God as he uses it for his glory. As that passes, let's stand up and let's worship in a way that reflects what we've just read today, that reflects the goodness of God through his son, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Cypress app to find community in the body of Christ.